Welcome to the Hanging Banners Podcast with your host, Tyler Witt. How about this block here by Tyler Witt? You're going to see him get out in front, and he's going to get a key block that springs this play. Jack Coachman. And here he is, having the time of his life. And Ryan Sartori. Maybe short, but he's thick. <laughs> that's, that's thick with two seats. And welcome back. Episode 17, we're ready to go. If you're just listening, you won't see that there's no Tyler Witt this week, but I'm Ryan Sartori and Jack Coachman is here too. And this is Hanging Banners. Why is there no Tyler Witt this week? Well, he is a professional athlete and he's doing professional athlete stuff. Things that Jack, you and I just don't do. (laughs) No, I think I'm all right not doing the two. I, I can't imagine I'd be too great. If they're okay. So at this point though, you know, we're both, we've lived long enough and we're in a different enough phase of our lives. If there was a sport that you felt like right now, if you had to commit to being a professional athlete in what sport would you choose? Oh, geez. And be successful or just like, just like, you know, you just make it right. Like it could be like a main sport where you're going to grind really hard to like try and get there. Or you could pick like a smaller level sport that you might have a leg up in. This might sound crazy. Okay. NBA basketball. Oh, (laughs) okay. So professional basketball probably is more attainable. You're, you're going for the, the association here. Yeah. Like I'm looking, I'm looking, I feel like I could, I could compete like Alex Caruso levels. Like I'm not going to be Kevin Durant. Like I'm not scoring from all over the place, but I definitely feel like I could end the game with like four points three assists and maybe a rebound or two. Like, okay. I feel like that's serviceable that would in be, the NBA. Very good. If you could get there in the NBA, I feel like that would be like, I'd probably get like a two year, hundred million dollar contract after that. Oh, okay. So part of it is the money too, that you were factoring in the contract. So I'm thinking if I put my mind to it, I think I could probably get back in I, I bowled for a little bit i could probably you know try and sneak onto the pba tour or something oh but. we were leaving hobbies up to it too got it okay well wait a second why is it <laughs> this this is certainly a discussion that if we're missing tyler on another day and we're out of something i would love to go over what is sport and what is not sport i've got well we've got a long we've got a long football off season coming up and uh, a brief intermission between this the end of football and start of baseball where i'm sure we'll be able to just dump those things out. No, but Mm -hmm. no Tyler today because he is off starting his journey with the XFL moved down to Florida this past or rather Texas this past week. They're the same thing. Um, And is uh, getting going there. So he is all filled up with meetings and trying to figure out the playbook and, and all that good stuff. And so he's in the middle of camp. He'll check in when he can, but today he can't. So it's just me and Jack holding down the fort and that's just fine by me. We got a lot to get to today, Jack, because um, it was one of, I think, one of the most important weeks in sports. And maybe maybe important isn't the right word, but either way, um, we're going to jump right just right in to count your wins, but not of the year. Forgot to change that. Just count your wins. Um, And I think the the biggest win for everybody this week is the fact, especially today, that DeMar Hamlin is home. He's going home from the uh, hospital in Cincinnati there, and I don't think that there is a bigger win for anybody in the world this week. Yeah, no, that certainly when you talk about, I mean, that that's the only thing really that comes to mind when you say one of the most important weeks 
in sports is we had a very frantic moment. And this actually happened right as we were finishing up recording our podcast last week mm-hmm. uh, was the injury during the Bills Bengals game on Monday Night Football to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, I guess injury might not even be the right word because he went into cardiac arrest and, and we don't know the full you know ins and outs. We don't deserve to know the full ins and outs of what was happening medically with him. Uh, but the fact that, you know, was in critical condition, then we got the update that it's stable and then it's he's talking and now that he's discharged, like it's a very natural progression. And thankfully it's happened pretty quickly because this was an unprecedented event. And as fans, media, athletes, everybody sort of was at a loss. Everyone knew how to react right away, but then not after that. Like, What do you do once you've gotten past the initial trauma? Right. So it was, it was difficult. Yeah. I mean, all week it, you were just, the initial fallout was tough because the only thing that I think a lot of fans felt and certainly players on the field felt was shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we also experienced, and this is what I, why I say that the, the week was important. And especially now that we know that DeMar is going to be okay. Medically he's there. Cognitively he's there. Neurologically he's all there. Like now that we know all of these things, it's kind of an interesting thing to look back and reflect on and realize just how big the separation between players and fans is right. Like we are just bystanders to the violence that happens on a football field. These guys are the ones that live it. And when something like somebody randomly, and it was random, just going into cardiac arrest and dying on the field, DeMar Hamlin, it has been said was dead on the field and the medical staff of the Buffalo bills saved his life. Um, It's, it's dramatic. It's traumatizing for some fans, for most fans, but I can't imagine what it's like to be somebody on the field or in the league trying to parse through the emotions of what's happening there. Well, and there's sort of the group response to that on a more macro level, I think a lot of people felt in the first few months when COVID broke out, which is this sort of shared numbness that you create and specifically in something like the NFL. And I am not in any way trying to misattribute any of my thoughts onto Tyler Witt, who's not here, but I know we've talked in the past where he's mentioned, like he, he acknowledges the dangers of the game he plays. And part of that acknowledgement does not include the really life or death almost is what we saw this past week. But even then I think as professional athletes, it's scary There's a bit of a wake up. There's obviously great concern for the person who suffered the most in that situation. But then the hardest part is knowing that you have to move on. Right. And that's that's where I make the covid comparison is it was bad. Everybody was isolated. People were dying. Millions of people were dying around the world. And it was still this like, but you can't stop and you have to keep going. And on an even more immediate level, the NFL, all those players, including the ones involved in the Bills and Bengals game, had to play less than a week later. Yeah. So that to me is especially the scary part is knowing that, yes, everybody has opted into the hazards and the risks, but even when you factor that in, there's still so much that you can't possibly imagine could happen. Well, and I think that's the next level of the conversation is, is, is then kind of turning and, and looking how it was handled um, on, a, on a bunch of different fronts, right? Like on, on the immediate happening of the thing of the, the thing, I should say the, the injury, the, the crazy circ- circumstance with Damar Hamlin, the, the, the immediate happening with ESPN, I thought they did for the most part, 
a really great job on being impartial, not speculative, um, and just like trying to figure out what was happening in the moment. I think they did a good job back in the studio. I think Joe Buck did an excellent job. I think uh, uh, Susie Colbert is it? No, 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 not Susie Colbert. Um, the sideline reporter on Monday night. Either way, I think everybody did a phenomenal job all the way around with ESPN's broadcast. With yeah, with their broadcast. Uh, uh, your thoughts? It, it's tough because we really, you and I both, again, with the timeline of our recording last week and missing the first few minutes or so, I don't know a lot of, like, I have no reactionary thoughts on what happened right away because we we weren't available to see it. Right. Um, but from what developed in the 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later aftermath, uh, I think proper dues were given to Booger McFarland, who did a great job of kind of keeping everyone's head level on the, we've finally gotten to a point where the wide majority of people are able to react in a measured way that we understand what's going on. And Mm -hmm. it's not the football game is stopped. It's not, we're going to commercial break. It's there's somebody who's severely hurt to the point where we aren't allowed to know what's going on. And that is something that happens so rarely. Uh, But I I was, I, I got to see a little bit of it and I heard that Booger did a great job. It's tough because you have people also who are representing the NFL, who they're also in a state of, this hasn't happened before. I know people were very critical of the NFL's decision immediately was to wait until the player was clear from the field, wait until Hamlin was you know safely taken off, take a few minutes, rewarm up, and then go into play. And, and that is a very scrutinized, rightfully scrutinized decision. But at the same time, they have hundreds of pages of rules, and there isn't one that covers this situation. So right. everybody collectively was doing what they could, and only a few people really, I think, made mistakes in the grand scheme of sports media. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get to those mistakes in, in just a little bit. And I think that's, again, we're talking about like the immediate reactions and stuff like that of like the fallout from the, the injury. I don't even know if you can call it an injury. Cause it wasn't like, it's not a sprained I mean, ankle induced by a, a hit still. Right. I think sure. we think so regardless, like the NFL's reaction to it in the moment, again, like, probably seems cold to most like the warm up and in five minutes, we're going to play. I think there's a lot of kudos that has been paid and should continue to get paid to Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott, who were like, absolutely not. We've got 53 guys on our sideline right now that just witnessed a friend or a colleague. Die on the field. Like it's, it's, it's that blunt. It it is that blunt. Like they just really, Saw something super traumatizing. I think the right thing was done by canceling the game. Um, I think probably the right thing was done even by, you know, completely canceling it and not rescheduling it or replaying it or starting it back up. Um, I I think, I think all the way around, even given like the little five minute snafu, like I think the NFL did a good job. Yeah. It's an impossible situation and maybe they didn't do the best job they could, but I think it helps that the support of pretty much every sports figure online, be it a you know paid media person, just a takesman, athletes who weren't involved in the game. Everybody had the universal message, which is the we're praying, we're hoping we need DeMar Hamlin to be okay for him, right? And for right. his family and for his loved ones. And I think that is a great sign that we've gotten to a point where that's number one. And Mm -hmm. most people acknowledge that that's number one. And when you have all of the agents of the NFL, right? Because even if you're, you know, just a, 
beat reporter for an NBC Universal affiliate somewhere, right? Like the fact that everybody's watching this game and saying the same thing, that softens the blow for the NFL where not all eyes are on their decision because I think we're all sort of experiencing something together and they're in their own separate space. So that saved them a little face too, I think. On the topic of social media and retouching on what you were saying about Booger McFarland and and some of his comments um, trying to essentially fill the gap of, of time that was happening during that broadcast. I think social media, if anything with sports has brought us closer to our athletes. And I think the modern sports fan has gained a new perspective from having that access to the athletes, right? Like I think if this happens in the eighties, it's like, dude, rub dirt on it and get back out there. Don't be pansies. You know, like I think even if this happens in the early 2000s, it might be a similar situation where it's just like, all right, well, slap him on the ass and tell him to get back to it. I don't know what to tell you. But like with social media, with the pressure from the public being so heavily weighed now, and also, again, like with fans being able to level and 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 kind of to, to some extent dehumanize uh, these these athletes once again um i think i think that 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 helped out a lot i mean i'm trying to like form my thought on this as i'm giving it because it kind of just came to me like social media as as maligned as it is as as toxic toxic as it can be especially in the culture of sports i think that's probably one of the, the benefits that we've had is that like we can see a tweet from from Josh Allen immediately after the game saying like I need I need prayers for Demar Hamlin. He might not have tweeted that exactly, but like in a hypothetical way, like we can see that type of stuff. We can see like, hey, there's a human hurting on the other side of this message. Just like if my buddy were to tweet something and be like, man, I, I need prayers for my mom right now, right? Like it's a very humanizing experience to see that type of thing. Um, and I think that it leveled a lot of things this weekend. I think that that was felt on the field in week 18 in general on every field was like, Hey, like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. But at the same time, like we also have to put things in perspective and like we're humans and not like superheroes. We're just dudes out here trying to get paid. Not. Yeah. It also helps to sanitize a little bit. Some of the human error that can take place with live video production which I think one of the more glaring cases we saw this year was with Tua Tungvaluwa getting injured on the Thursday night and Amazon continuing to show that hit. I, I, it's not that I don't want to know, but we weren't watching the game. And so afterwards, the fact that I can follow through social media and find different channels that are reporting information, sharing, you know, articles about how great of a guy DeMar Hamlin is. I mean, think about how difficult it is for some of these bills beat reporters who know this person as a person and their job is to kind of remind us this is a person I can do all that. I still to this day have not seen the hit in question, which I think also helps. You can understand the situation without getting lost in the fact, Oh, it just was a play in a game. Like then we, if Buck and Aikman flounder, or whoever the broadcasters are, if there is a mistake that happens, I don't have to get riled up in that. I can get information. It's live print media, right? There, there hasn't really ever been in existence, live print media where all of the truest, most accurate sources are giving you information in non-visual ways where you don't have to make yourself experience or re-experience or continue to experience what was a trauma. Sure. I mean, and just to talk to that point, right? Like I did seek out what happened because what happened happened during the middle of what we were recording last week with our year in review episode. And 
I wanted context for the situation. Like, how serious is this? Was it a freak hit? Was it, and it was a freak hit. Was it something that was like, oh my God, like I, I've never seen anything like this on a football field. Like just for the context of like what's happening in front of me, what am I watching? I did seek it out, but it's not like I sat there and watched it over and over and over again. The way that again, Thursday night football, Amazon prime, the way that they showed the the two, a concussion and the, the fencing posturing that we saw from him, like that was like, they showed that eight times. They showed it 10 times, however many times it was. And people on, on social media were crying, like, stop showing the hit. We don't need to see it that many times. I think ESPN, obviously, they're a legacy media company. They knew what to do. They have producers in place that know what to do in those situations. They did a great job of not showing it over and over and over over again. They also did a great job of not showing this man being resuscitated and defibrillated on the field too. Like there wasn't close-ups. Yes, they had to show the emotion of some of the players, but like for the most part, the broadcast team, again, to bring it back full circle, I think did a great job. Yep. And so uh, with that, 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 that's the win this week. DeMar Hamlin's charity raised over $8 million after having an original goal of $2,500. People came together. They saw this cause and were like, we have to, we have to help. And the entire world came together, not just the sporting world, but like as somebody who, again, we know works in country music myself, like I saw so many different posts from country music stars donating money and, and doing different things. And, um, Again, the original goal for DeMar, Ham- DeMar Hamlin's charity, $2,500, it's at over $8 million currently, which is just astonishing. That coupled with the fact that earlier today, DeMar Hamlin went home with his family after watching the, the Bills game from the hospital yesterday. I think one of the coolest moments from it all is that during uh, yesterday's game between the Bills and the Patriots, the opening kickoff gets returned and the report was from the hospital that DeMar Hamlin set off every alarm in the ICU because <laughs> he was still hooked up to all the monitors and was so excited that uh, th- that it was it, the, the kickoff was returned for the touchdown. And so, again, that's just a, a really cool moment that I'm sure all parties involved will, will never forget that report. And so uh, very cool stuff. And uh, we're obviously very happy that DeMar's home. So. It was. It was an important week. Again, to bring it back full circle, it was. It was. Uh, it was cool. Anyway, there was another side to this. There was another side to the reporting and the opinions of this this topic, and that is my intercepted at the goal line this week, Jack. You might have something different, but while we're on this topic, I'll lead here in this segment. Um, I think everybody probably saw the immediate tweets from skip Bayless and it's here's the thing. And I'm going to be completely, completely frank with you. I don't know if the tweet was so egregiously wrong. I think that he did try to phrase it in a way from the NFL's perspective of what do you do? But it also came at the exact wrong time and was the wrong message for the time. Tweet it the next day. Tweet it some other time. It doesn't have to be while a man is being resuscitated on the field. Again, I don't know that the context of the the, the contents rather of the tweet were that bad. But the context was and also it's Skip Bayless. And I want nothing 
but for him <laughs> to no longer be on TV. And I say that in a, in, in a joking way, but I also mean it wholeheartedly and seriously. Yeah. Everything that man does is about him and nobody else. It's about his views and nothing else. Um, he always says, I don't, I don't follow anything on Twitter. And I think it's because he's a supreme narcissist. Um, I just skip Bayless. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking up the tweet now because I came a little unprepared for this part of the show, but like he had a week to say that. And I'll Jack fill in while I try to find the, the tweet in question. Yeah, no, the, that is because I remember we had seen this tweet last Monday and we're discussing it. And the first time that you read it through, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess he's right. But even then, like the, the reaction at best is puzzled accuracy, because whether or not you said the right thing, there's there's a timeliness to it. And this is what we talked about just moments ago with the positivity of everybody on social media, for the most part, has figured out a way to say the right thing. It should be with sincerity, especially in a case where a human life is in jeopardy. Right. I think most people genuinely meant what they said when they said, like, prayers up. Can't imagine what it would be like to be Hamlin or Higgins or any of the Bills or Bengals players, anybody involved in this situation, loved ones like that is how most people genuinely felt. There probably is also a decent number of people who didn't genuinely feel that way. But because it's social media and there's a certain reputation to uphold and a digital permanence with it reacted that way because they knew it was the right thing to do. And then you have what I imagine is a very small minority of people that include Skip Bayless, which is the uh, situation blindness, right? Is the, I'm going to tweet something that I'm thinking and I'm not going to consider whether or not this is the right time to do it. And that's when we got this. Yeah. So the the tweet in, in question again is, uh, No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. And that's what I'm saying. Like the contents of when he adds, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. Like we're doing, we are doing right now, like a breakdown of 140 characters (laughs) on Twitter. But like, it's, it's important when you, when you realize like the people covering the sports you watch and the human beings that play the sports, those people and the words that they say matter that their yeah. rhetoric and what they bring to you as, as a reader, as a viewer, as a consumer of their media, it matters. And so while a man is being resuscitated on the field for your thought to be, how do they cancel this game? Right. I mean, it's so terms. important. This game is so important. Yeah, how, how is that your there's thought? a playoff race. Uh, yeah, it, it it's it makes sense because there, we we all are such trained minds. We're in an intellectual age where like every situation has so many angles. I, I get where he's coming from. And I certainly had conversations with friends about the same thing is like, you know, we all are still in shock and, and traumatized by what had happened. But at the same time, like we're all kind of curious what's next that's a good thought to have there. There's a whole list of different kinds of things that people say that they shouldn't, but it's okay to think sometimes it's not even okay to think, but you think it anyways. But then when you say it, that's one thing when you tweet it in that moment, it's a totally different one. Yes. Uh, Again, like layman's terms, think it fine. I thought it, you thought it, we had conversation about it, not Mm -hmm. in the moment, but obviously afterwards we're like, man, this is a really tough decision for the NFL. And it was, and it's okay to have those conversations with friends, I think. But like, again, 
tweeting it, there is a lot of time between the first letter and send in a tweet. There's a lot of time to think and, and think, is this worth it? Do I need to tweet this? Because again, it's important. Your platform is important. Skip Bayless has, I, I don't know how many followers on Twitter, a, a bajillion. And that I'm doesn't sure. even represent his actual reach being one of the like chief NFL or just in general sports talk people on the Fox sports networks, 3.2 million followers and whatever else that web reaches. I don't follow him, but I saw his tweet almost immediately. Right? Like again, your output into the world matters. Um, and, and maybe it sounds like kind of a double standard that, yes, you can talk about it with your friends, but don't tweet it to 3.2 million people because it seems very insensitive. And it is. But again, I also genuinely don't care because it's Skip Bayless. Like, I, I don't care that it seems double standarded or not, because this is a guy that I just genuinely don't like and maybe that makes me a bad person maybe that makes this a bad take but like no if it it, were other people i think that i would have a little bit of leniency with it but because it's skip bayless i know this is exactly what he meant that's why you need to see the body of work and i think that it's a good takeaway for this situation for sports media consumption and for general consumption of information at large is be discerning right is skip bayless probably doesn't have a great history of saying things incorrectly but he might say them tastelessly he might say them provokingly but this he's been a takesman since you know being on first take at espn and switching over to fox sports was sort of emblematic of and i'm i'm going to take a stance here because i think to speak to my point of being discerning and then not showing my own discernment would be a problem it's totally okay to have sports media figures that you like And they are at institutions that you don't because I know Fox sports by and large is predicated on some principles and owned by some people. And there are things that go on there that aren't great. And Skip Bayless is one such embodiment where this is actually probably a positive outcome for him in the Fox sports network, because this is the kind of interaction they want. And there are other people who have in the past made similar missteps, whether by intention or not that generate views. But there are people at Fox Sports in the past that I've liked. And I'm like, you know what? I really wish that they would just leave Fox Sports because I like that person, but I don't like who they're with. I have similar thoughts with like the Barstool Sports Media Group. There are some figures within Barstool Sports that I do genuinely enjoy their entertainment value and their sports opinion and their expertise. But by and large, that organization is not one that I get behind and they have a troubled and checkered past of controversy. And so that's when moments like this happen. Remember it, because then when Skip Bayless says something dumb in April that it comes off with some sort of insensitive undertones, don't be like, you know oh, man, that's it. weird. But I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll start watching again probably in a few months. No, there's a pattern of these things. Take note. And that's what like what you said is there are some guys that have built the credibility where if they were to make what could genuinely have been a mistake this past Monday, you'd be like, all right, that wasn't great. I don't love it but this doesn't seem in character for them. There are some people like Skip Bayless where it feels too in character. Do something about it. Then don't, don't watch his show. Don't follow him. Right. And and I think to speak again to that point, we're nearing a half hour talking on this subject. I promise we have, we have more things to talk about in this show, but but this was very much the most important thing that happened this week was everything centering around Damar Hamlin. Um, I think when we look back on this in general, we will have a, 
studies on the way that the media treated this situation. We have the good, we have the bad and the ugly in the coverage of, of the DeMar Hamlin situation. Um, but when you look at like Fox sports and the people who own it and the, the way that they run it, right? Like that tweet was had, that tweet was said, and then there was no suspension. There was no slap on the hands. And I'm not, I, I'm not here. That. I'm not here to say, or take another man's money away or anything like that. There, there was an apology. There was a segment on the show where he tried his best to apologize, but it was more propping up the fact that like my tweet wasn't bad. I shouldn't have to apologize, but I guess I'm sorry. It was more or less the apology. I think it should speak volumes that the man that he has been on the air with, with undisputed for the better part of three years, four years, however long he's been gone from ESPN, he's had Shannon Sharp. Him and Shannon Sharp have had some really heated debates. That's the point of the show. On one of the darkest days for Skip Bayless, with one of his biggest mistakes, his on-air partner, who you should stand arm-in-arm with through the bad stuff if you believe in the man. Shannon Sharp wasn't there. He chose not to be on the show because he knew what the show was going to be about and he wanted no parts of it. And when Shannon Sharp showed up again on Wednesday and tried to give the opening monologue and his side of the story, who was there to cut him off every step of the way, but Skip Bayless, who wanted to control the narrative, he wasn't willing to let the man across from him, who again has been on this show with him for more than three years. He couldn't have, he, he couldn't let him have a, a word in edgewise. Uh, again, it's the body of, the, of work. It's the person. It's who he is. The man who has said to the public before that he cares more about his career in sports media than he does about his wife. It's that guy that I have the issue with. And not even necessarily the tweet. I do have issue with the tweet, but I think it's more the, the coupling of the two. So that's where we're at. Um, obviously, that's the intercepted at the goal line. I think that uh, Skip Bayless is... Yeah, whatever on, on you're about to say is correct. Yeah. He's on the dead to me list, right? Like, I, I actually will write him in as we, we move yeah, he's on. He's got to be on, like, the catacombs list, right? Like, dead and been dead. So yeah, far it, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, he's down bad on my list of, of, of people that are, that are down and dead. Um, anyway, we, it's, it's always when, when something heavy like this happens, it's always I found as a host of anything difficult to transition to something that's, completely lighthearted, especially when the thing that you're talking about is like, Hey, this injury changed the trajectory of football for probably ever, right? We have a precedence now for like what happens in these situations. Uh, It's super sad that it happened. It's, it's tragic that it happened, but also it's very uplifting because DeMar is is going to be okay. We transition now to talk about football and I I find that to be difficult. So I always like to address and be, and, and, and say to people like, I understand that the, the transition is, is stark right here, but we also have football to talk about. It happened. This is a sports podcast. We cover these things. Um, and so now we move on to NFL week 18 um, with obviously knowing all the context and things like that. There were some uh, big moments that happened in this week. I think uh, we, we covered one of them, the bills, the Patriots, the opening kickoff being returned and uh, Naheem Hines, the man to do it takes it all the way back. And you know, the hearts and everything, and they're sending love back to DeMar. I think that game was, was pretty fun. Uh, it was very competitive. And I think 
maybe even bigger than the opening kickoff. It was John Ross catching a touchdown pass and taking that ball and giving it to the, uh, the trainer on the sideline, the man who resuscitated and helped save the life of DeMar Hamlin. Uh, he got, he got that touchdown ball. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. And it definitely stands out too, because sometimes you miss the moments of a week of football because there's football going on and you're so invested in the narrative of actually games playing out and how does this affect the season. But by the time we get to week 18, those moments shine a little bit stronger because fewer games matter. Fewer things are really, you know, catching your eye as far as results and stats and things like that. Uh, So no, that was, that was a really nice moment. And it also happened to be in one of the only games that had playoff implication in that time window. Naheem Hines ended up getting a second return touchdown that game too. Ended up uh, going off. So yeah, uh, there were six touchdown returns all season prior to that point. And then he had two more to add onto it. So effectively Naheem Hines, 25% of all kickoff (laughs) return touchdowns this year, go to that guy. Yeah. And then you look across the AFC East and there were no touchdowns in the other game with the Dolphins beating the Jets 11 to six. That uh, that's a storyline, I think, as we move into the playoffs, the Dolphins quarterback situation, they, yeah. they get the win, they make the playoffs. But boy, you really got to wonder if, what's the what's the best chance of beating the Bills? You almost have like a a downward slope of your best quarterbacks are also your most injured. Each quarterback, as you get worse, is slightly less injured than the guy before, all the yeah. way down to Mike Glennon. I know. Well, and we'll get to the bracket in just a Bears legend, Mike Glennon, by the way. And we'll get to the bracket in just a second. But just to kind of cover up uh, some of these games now, you know, we're looking at the noon slate. There were some snoozers, right? Like, I know you as a, as a Saints fan probably – I, I didn't watch scratched your head care. through a, a Carolina Saints game that ended 10 to seven. And the, the final play of the game was a game winning kick by Eddie Pinheiro. Uh, again, that Dolphins game 11 to nine, the Dolphins had to win to get in. And somehow they did with Skylar Thompson under center. Uh, the big game for me. And the, the thing that I wanted to get to, I guess the, the reaction of events that happened that I wanted to get to was the incredible changing of possession of the number one pick in this year's coming draft. The bears needed to lose. The Texans needed to win. The bears did that just fine. They were playing the Vikings. They lost 29, 13. It was never competitive. Um, it, it really wasn't a game to watch at all. I, I watched it just for the sake of continuity. Uh, but other than that, it was awful. But then as they lose that game, Houston and Indianapolis go into like the final five minutes of their game. And Indianapolis goes up with maybe two minutes left uh, they go up by seven and Houston's down and they have no reason to win this game other than the fact that every NFL player always wants to win. And they had a coach on the sideline who knew he was getting fired. And so they said, screw it. Let's go for all of it. Fourth down and 20 Davis Mills drops back, hucks it to the end zone and it's caught for a touchdown, a miraculous touchdown on the lat. What would have been the last play of the season for the Texans offense caught for a touchdown they go for two they convert the Texans win it and now they hold the second pick in the draft the Bears move up to number one and they hold the first overall pick for the first time since 1947 which is kind of crazy when you try and remember 
how many times in the 21st century or just in our lifetimes have the bears been good that they've never been that bad either. <laughs> They're right. always a middle of the pack, bad team, or they sneak into the playoffs striving for mediocrity, the Chicago bears. That's their, that's like their team saying, I did find it interesting though, on the broadcast for the bears, they talked about in 1970, the bears and Steelers tied for the worst record in football. They did a coin flip to decide it. The Steelers won the coin flip, got the first overall pick with that pick. They selected Terry Bradshaw. Which is something that I, I have to commit the time to explore deeper because I think at this point, and you could go back and look at, I don't know if it was uh, Gil Brandt or whoever made the chart that people still use of like the draft pick values in NFL drafts, right? He was like a Cowboys scout or something. So um, I'm not sure is the number one pick at this point is more just ceremonious because if it was truly that much more valuable than the second pick, like there's no reason really for the Texans to put forth any effort to win besides just personal pride, which is a big factor. But I want to look back and see how often the number one pick ends up being that much better than two. And also the value of trading out of it. I don't know if that's an option that the bears are even considering given where they are as a team, but I think that they are wholeheartedly. I mean, that's everything that I've seen on Bears Twitter is like, they, they, well, they are, they almost have to, they, they're in no position to take a quarterback. And I don't think that there's a quarterback in this draft better than Justin Fields. So when you look at it, you've jumped the Houston Texans who need a quarterback. You have the Colts now in the top five after they lost the game, they need a quarterback. It's like something like seven of the top 11 teams in this draft all need a quarterback. There are multiple teams with multiple first round picks in this draft. And so, yeah, I think it's completely within the realm of possibility that the bears move back in this draft. And you have to remember the last time that number one pick was moved, it was in 2015 for the Rams to acquire Jared Goff. That pick went for two firsts, two seconds and two thirds. That is the absolute floor for what the bears are going to get on this pick. And in a, this is a draft. I think that has one quarterback. I I think Bryce love or Bryce young can be good. I think will Levis can be good, but I think CJ Stroud is far and away the guy that you have to get. If you're looking for a quarterback in this year's draft. And I think somebody's going to pay up stupid to get it. And it might even be the Texans at two. They might say, we are not having the Colts draft the guy that we were going to get with that number one pick. And they might move up one spot and pay a boatload to do it. Right. Yeah. No, that that you'd think if there's somebody out there who really wants to, they will. Um, but I also, we haven't seen that sort of a blockbuster trade in a while. And I think that a lot of teams might have the same approach, which is we're pretty sure the bears aren't taking a quarterback. So if we're two, three or four behind them, that's one fewer quarterback that we have to worry about getting taken, right? And that's Bears true, too. Response. But you also have to remember, like, the way the media works, right? Like, there's already stories out there saying the Bears might not be completely tied to Justin Fields. They might not think that he's the quarterback of the future. They could explore a quarterback at number one. Like, there's going to be insane. that rhetoric out there. Well, there's that, going to be that rhetoric out there. I, I, I think they have no intentions of drafting a quarterback at one, but there's going to be that conversation out there just for leverage sake. Yeah. Just baiting people. No, Um, yeah. For a final witching hour, I thought this was a pretty great week considering that there were two, (laughs) two uh, wildcard spots open one per league. And it really came down to a crazy noon slate where the dolphins were trying to get in alongside the Patriots and the Steelers. The Steelers had it locked up and they would have been in had it not been for uh, kind of a wonky ending 
to the the Jets Dolphins game. It ended eleven to six again. But like, uh, if the Dolphins lose and the the Patriots did lose, the Steelers would have found a way to sneak into the the playoffs. It almost happened. It was kind of a crazy witching hour. Yeah, and the other thing that <laughs> one of the games was on Saturday and one was on Sunday, but you have. The both eight and eight coming into the week, Jaguars and Buccaneers in first place. Buccaneers had already secured the NFC South divisional title. Right. And the Jags Titans was a game to decide that. But you've got nine and eight Jacksonville and eight and nine Tampa both hosting their first round playoff games. Those are sort of like, oh, watching Tampa Bay. They kept their starters in longer than I expected against Atlanta for a team that already had secured their spot and then lost that game by a decent amount. So yeah. uh, last game to touch on and then we'll move on to like the actual playoff bracket is uh Packers Lions. I thought that game was was pretty cool. Uh I think it was your your buddy Colton uh mm-hmm. who's a, a writer for the Athletic uh tweeted something hilarious like I can't believe Amon Ross St. Brown caught a ball with one ass cheek yeah. and three toes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, yep, saw that one. Uh, uh it was dude, Amon Ross, man, that talk about a breakout player, but I can't believe that the Packers blew this. I can and I love it. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. I, I'm gonna we'll get to the bracket. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit just because we're on the topic. Uh my low-hanging fruit for the week is NFL scheduling. I think it was super, super cowardly of the NFL. This is I don't know that there's been confirmation. This is my interpretation of the series of events. Having the Lions Packers as the Sunday night game when one team, both teams have massive information in an NFC wildcard spot race. I don't remember the NFL ever doing this where because the Seahawks won, it was the Seahawks, Lions and Packers all fighting for one playoff spot since the Seahawks won. And they had beat Detroit head to head during the season. The lions, though they were ahead of the Packers at the start of Sunday night football in division standings were mathematically eliminated. So the lions feasibly had nothing to play for besides pride and to keep the Packers out of the playoffs. Right. So the Packers might have had a chance there where the lions all of a sudden go, we're a young team. We're good. We're getting better. Let's just rest a bunch of our guys, not risk injury. And the Packers, I would have been furious as a Seahawks fan. If that was the case and the Packers then moved to the playoffs. And I think it all comes down to two other major games, right? The Jaguars Titans was a standalone game where the, Results of that game affected the playoffs, but did not affect any other games. But it sucked. And it's two teams that nobody wants to watch. And they were never going to make that the Sunday night game, right? So they put it Saturday. The other one was the Bengals-Ravens, which at that point did not have any impact, I believe, on any other games except for their own. Best touchdown celebration of the year, Joe Mixon. Oh, the coin flip. Flip the coin and kick it. And that is that is at the crux of all of this is the coin flip is because of the Bengals bills postponement that the Bengals had they lost to the Ravens would have the same number of wins, even though they have a better record. And they were going to flip a coin to see who gets home field advantage since they're playing each other. And that should have been the Sunday night game because it's actually two good teams in a relevant playoff matchup. Perfect for Sunday night football quarterbacks that get ratings but they don't want us watching a coin flip at the end of sunday night that's my that's my take i think what they were more aiming for was the fact that the packers held their own destiny if they won they were in that was the end of it and so i think for the sake of drama and uh you know the winner go home stakes they were looking at like okay if seattle wins then it's up to the Packers to win and they're in. If they lose, 
if they would have lost, then it's winner gets in and you could have an island game of just smash mouth football. So I think that they did, they did fine. But, uh, but I also get where you're coming normal from. Play. We've ne- we have not seen this in the past where they allow a game to play where there's heavy access to information that was not there at the start of the day. That that uh, Maybe it has happened and I don't remember it, but I... How do you mean? I, I guess so, I wasn't following. So at the start, let's start of Sunday, right? Noon games haven't even kicked off. As far as we know, the Seahawks, Lions, and Packers are all fighting for the wild card and we know the scenarios, right? Seahawks win, Lions win, Seattle gets the playoff spot. Seahawks lose and... Lions win, Lions get the playoff spot. And if the Packers win at all, they get the game, right? But because the Seahawks game played earlier, that created the possibility where the Lions wouldn't try, right? That's why normally in the past, they would have these two games play at the same time because the NFL has shown that they don't like these situations where one team could have a leg up or a reason not to play. So they almost always will make that NBC Sunday night game uh, a battle for a divisional title. Or uh, I think sometimes it's just like a win for the seed if there is no division title. But very rarely is it a game that has a dependent relationship on another game at an earlier time slot. And I I thought that was a very bad move. I think the involvement of ESPN on Saturdays now, and I think that's relatively new. I Uh, think. Yeah, they, they've I think added the involvement of them on Saturdays now is probably part of the issue because you just, you can't take games from them. Once once ESPN selects the games they want, they get them, and you can't be like, "Hey, we're actually going to flex the AFC South Championship game to Sunday night, and you guys can get a different game." Like it just it just doesn't work that way. So I think part of it is that, and part of it was just playing their best hand. I don't know. They did. I think the, the two things that would have been the right thing to do, one is totally infeasible because of TV contracts, is either have two Sunday night games or no Sunday night games, which is just not an option. No. But the actual like calculus of playoff standings was to have Bengals-Ravens as the Sunday night football game. And I think yeah. the main reason to not do that is you don't want millions of people ending their football day watching a coin flip. Well, this provides a pretty smooth transition into the conversation about the NFL playoff bracket. Uh, who's got the right breaks? Who's got the wrong breaks? We're looking at the AFC right now. The number one seed, first round bye, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that at the beginning of the year, everybody was like, well, we're unsure if they're going to be good, if they're going to be bad. They lost Tyree Kill. That could be the end of the Chiefs dynasty. Wrong. They were <laughs> incredible this year. They were they were so good this year that in their last game against the Raiders, they were literally doing ring around the fucking Rosie <laughs> and almost scored a touchdown off of it. Had it not been for a bogus holding call, that was one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen on a football field. And I loved it. Um, num, 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 I'll eat that shit up all day. Um, but uh, aside from that, you've got Bill's Dolphins coming up this weekend. On top of that, you've got a rematch with the Bengals and Ravens, and that game's going to be a slugfest. And the Jaguars play the Chargers, and that sounds like a pretty packed slate of games, especially considering the Chargers have been kind of sliding the past couple weeks, playing a, a Jaguars team that's been kind of surging. Obviously, an AFC C North divisional matchup is going to be dope. And then an AFC East divisional matchup that obviously might not feature the two top quarterbacks on both teams might feature just Josh Allen and maybe Skylar Thompson, but like still is a gigantic AFC East rematch game. And uh, 
I'm curious, I guess, to see what your thoughts are here, Jack. Like, what's the best game? Who's got the, the easiest path? Well, I think the... You, you want to say the Bills have the easiest path because they would only play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. The two seeds should have the easiest path of two through seven. But I think it speaks more to the... It's kind of a class of two. I think you can draw a line between Buffalo and Cincinnati and say there's a bit of a drop there. Uh, but I also think that it's fair to say there's a bit of a drop after Cincinnati too. So the Bengals exist in a, a weird limbo where they feel like the best threat to knock off one of the top two, but they also, I could see not beating uh, the Ravens in a back-to-back week. We're going to meet you same field, same day uh, yeah. that we just saw that matchup. Uh, Chargers Jaguars to me is interesting because actually this might be the most interesting playoff game from a big wide narrative look because you've got Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence who are two quarterbacks that are very young and we're seeing them in the playoffs in a situation where this might be the last time we see them in the playoffs for a while because neither of these quarterbacks has exactly hit the ground either this year or last in a way where you're like oh this is it Trevor Lawrence has been good this year Herbert was good last year but neither of them strung two good years together And given how competitive some of these top AFC quarterbacks are and teams that are getting better that didn't make the playoffs this year, I wonder if this really could be a, we're not going to nail the coffin yet. We're just going to drill the hole for the nail on one of these quarterbacks and it's whoever loses. So I'm interested in that potential storyline. Well, and I think that the, the, the path to drilling the holes in the, in the, the casket is easier for Justin Herbert, right? Like, Trevor Lawrence had a, what I would consider a breakout year. Uh, I think that he has been trending upward since coming into the NFL. Justin Herbert's got kind of done this fun thing where it's mountain peaks, man. Like it's like trying to follow the stock market with him. And I think that he's an incredibly talented quarterback. And I think that he's got an incredibly talented team around him. It hasn't always been the healthiest team. Mike Williams has been in and out of the lineup. Same thing with Keenan Allen. Eckler has been pretty consistent, but at the same time too, his offensive line has been rotational because uh, was a uh, Rayshon Slater earlier in the year went down. He's had other guys on the line go down. So like not the healthiest team, but again, like if you are franchise quarterback, you have to get it done with whatever you have. Um, yes, he's still young. He's still learning. But like the the path to drilling those holes is easier, I think, for Justin. I You'd, you'd think, and I get your point, because he's fallen off from a higher place, whereas Trevor Lawrence is still on the way up. But Trevor Lawrence started from a dismally low spot as a number one overall pick. That sure. Was, I mean, it was bad. And to say, oh, wow, Jaguars made the playoffs. They, they were able to get it done on a Saturday night in a must-win game to go 9-8 and eight with a team that, even though they don't necessarily have blue chippers all over the place, they did spend a lot of money on. They have a good quarterback-driven coach. Uh, but I don't. I think these are two quarterbacks that the league really wants to, and fans across the country would love to see both of them be really good going forwards. And neither one has totally sealed that Mahomes- that Allen that even three years ago when they were young, were like, Oh my gosh, these guys are good. And Allen had a pretty rough go of it right away. But yeah, uh, his first, I mean, his first year and a half in the league were pretty tough, but that that's, that's my biggest, what I'm looking for is in a playoff situation, a must win game, which of these quarterbacks, if either is going to just totally crumble. Right. I, and I would probably say that it's Trevor Lawrence, because in that, 
AFC South championship game, so to speak. He had a couple of really just bad throws and left it up to a fumble recovery for a touchdown. That was the difference in the game. I mean, he had Zay Jones booty butt naked wide open in the back of the end zone and couldn't hit him. I mean, there was a little pressure in his face, but not enough that you can't throw to a guy where you can see his numbers, his hands, his eyes, his, you know, every part of his body was uncovered. Um, So I think that it's probably, it's probably Trevor Lawrence that has the tendency to crumble under pressure. If I had to make predictions, I think at least this week, Buffalo beats Miami. I'm with, and I think the Bengals are good to go against Baltimore, especially if Baltimore doesn't have, uh, if they if they don't even have uh, is it is it Tyler Huntley? Yeah, uh, you're asking his name. Yeah, yeah. Tyler Huntley. Yeah, yeah. If they if they don't even have him, then they're in deep water. Yeah. Um, I think that the Chargers end up beating Jacksonville, and that sets up a a Buffalo Cincinnati quarterfinal, and also a uh, a pretty interesting L.A. and Kansas City quarterfinal, which I think Kansas City wins and. Man, I, I would really love to see the rematch of Kansas City Buffalo in the playoffs at a neutral site. So I'm for the sake of narratives, I'm going to take that. And I think that Kansas City and Buffalo both end up in that spot. No idea who wins that game. I don't even want to think about it yet. That's a good um, answer. I, I don't mind not predicting an outcome that you're not sure what it is. You don't have to pick someone just for the sake of picking it. But that would be, I think, what I how I think the AFC side shakes out is you, you end up with Buffalo and Kansas City. All right, I'm with you there. I think I think that makes sense. It does bring me to a very brief uh, hot take that I've developed, which is every playoff game between two teams that have the same record should be played on a neutral site. I think that Ooh. makes it more interesting during the season. Uh, and I think that all of a sudden home field advantage. Oh, sorry, let me correct it. I think every playoff game between teams with the same record or where the lower seeded team has a better record should be played in neutral site. That way, like Tampa Bay eight and nine doesn't get to host a game against twelve and five Dallas or whatever, right? Um, well, and it 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 stimulates the idea of like build domed stadiums, sure, right? Like here in the Midwest, like Minnesota could host one of those. Indianapolis could host one of those. Yep. The future Bears Stadium could host one of those. Whatever, yep. whatever it might be, like all of those things could could happen. And I think that it's it's good for the NFL as a whole. I actually really like that, right? Um, but I guess that doesn't answer my actual AFC, AFC playoffs, which I think I would just make all the same picks that you had. I'm trying to think, where would I differ? Uh, I know my, my bold pick is I think the Chargers will just destroy the Jaguars. That's a coin flip game right now, and I'm, I'm rooting for the Chargers to win by like 20. Uh, I think if I had to pick an upset. I mean, that's your upset right there. It's a five over a four, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we we play upsets upsets are vegas spread underdogs that's the world i live in i think the upset that i would pick is probably baltimore and cincinnati chargers over chiefs oh oh you're meaning in the in the grand scheme guys just it. like at all on the afc side i i think this could be a very chalk playoffs and i think chargers chiefs would be the one wild wrench to throw where this could be a team stimulated by a playoff win and uh you know a third time matchup of the year familiarity. Did LA, type LA just got Joey Bosa back, didn't they? Uh, I'm not totally sure on that. I remember hearing that he was, getting he was, there. he was at least designated to return from the IR, right? Did he play? He didn't play against Denver. Did he? 
Um, you keep looking at that. Yeah, he did. He did. He did play against Denver. He actually had one of their so, two sacks. That, that could be something too. Where now you've got Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack coming at you too. Where you haven't had that all season. Yeah. So I okay. I don't hate that. I don't hate it. I like it a lot actually. But um, I don't know that I'd really buy it. Well, let's do NFC. Let's do NFC. Yeah. Let's do NFC. Where the the Eagles got that first round buy. They they were trying to give it away to somebody. Nobody wanted to take it, and eventually the. The birds from Philly get it. And you're looking to the bottom of the bracket where you've got the 49ers going up against divisional foe Seattle. Uh, You've got Minnesota going up against the Giants. And you also have Tampa Bay and Dallas going head to head as well. And uh, again, there are, well, I shouldn't say again, because I think that this is the more up in the air side of the Super Bowl bracket, so to speak, right? And in the playoffs, I think this is this is the more up in the air side of it. Because by, by what do you mean? You think it's because it's deeper, like one to seven, or that the top is weaker? No, I think that there there have been more question marks in the NFC this year than the AFC. Oh, like, oh coming into it, gotcha. the cream is rose to the top in the AFC, like the mm-hmm. Chiefs, Bills. Bengals, there's a pretty clear top three, like you said, and then a pretty stark drop off where like when you look at the Eagles and the 49ers, they both had moments this year where they struggled. Uh, same thing when you look at Minnesota, they were one score winners 12 times this year. Uh, you look at Dallas, who you thought was catching fire, but they also faltered here late in the season against Washington, who had nothing to play for other than pride. Um. And so I just I just think that this is a more volatile side of the bracket. I do think, though, eventually, like I think San Francisco ends up in the NFC championship game who they play in the in the the quarterfinal. I I don't I don't know, Uh, but I think San Francisco moves on. They play one of Minnesota or New York, and I think they're better than both of those teams. So I think Minnesota probably gives them a better run for their money. Wait, is that right? San Francisco is two. Oh, no, you're San Francisco's two. So they would play. They wouldn't play the Giants. They could play Minnesota. Yeah, I forgot about the whole reseed thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they would play Minnesota or the winner of Tampa Dallas. Right. So, okay. So even in those situations, I like them definitely over Tampa. I like them in a matchup against Minnesota, though. I think they could give them fits. I think the toughest game that they could pull would be one against Dallas. I think that would be both an old school matchup and kind of a, a, a crazy good matchup to watch. That could be like the chargers chiefs matchup of the NFC side is if you get Dallas and San Francisco, I think that could be pretty significant. Um, you know, Philly, I think if they, they pull the giants, that could be a fun game. If, if they pull, can they pull Dallas? Yeah. Yeah. They would face Dallas. If San Francisco and Minnesota both win, that would be a fun game. That Actually right now is the expected outcome. Dallas is three point road favorites at Tampa. So if every team that's favored wins, it would be Philly Dallas in the next round. And at that point, I have no idea who wins. No idea but it would be a fun game. And I think both of those games would be wildly competitive. San Francisco, Minnesota and Philly and Dallas would be wildly competitive games. So San Francisco, actually, when I looked this afternoon is the favorite to win the NFC, um, which kind of sucked to see because I was thinking to myself this past weekend, Oh, I wonder if there's any value on San Francisco. Like I think they could probably do it. Um, But they're the worst part of this 
playoff bracket for me is this nagging feeling I have that Tampa Bay makes the NFC championship. Really? They're not a good team. They've done okay. They'll get a home game this week against a skittering Dallas team. I think they can beat Dallas. That's seen as a coin flip. I, I don't know that my official pick, if I, you know, comes down to it over the weekend, I probably will pick Dallas. But Tampa Bay getting points at home, it's still Brady. They, they've got good bones. They've got players all over the place. And then I just worry about the playoff momentum. Philadelphia has a week off and you're giving Brady a week to catch steam. Like if it's Dallas and Philadelphia that they have to go through to get there, that feels easier to me than if they face uh, San Francisco in the second round. So yeah. I, I don't want to pick them, but that I would say is my like keep an eye on, even though Giants, Seattle, those are very fun teams. That's a little too cute for my taste. Dallas has given us no reason to trust them this regular season or any past postseason. Mm-hmm. So I, Tampa Bay is the team that's been there and I don't like it. <laughs> San Francisco's been there too, though, to be fair, actually. They, they were in the Super Bowl, what, three years ago? It was Kansas City, San Francisco. And then it was Tampa, Kansas City. And then last year was the Bengals-Rams, I think. So San right. Francisco's not too far removed. They're probably the safest pick, I would say, because they're big favorites against Seattle. Well, I think they're probably the hottest team right now in football. Yeah, and they're very complete. I, yeah. I think even if you look at the Giants or the Bills, you, you still go back to San Francisco's roster and the linchpin of this team, Brock Purdy hasn't lost. <laughs> no, he hasn't. And he's How did that very happen? Good. He looked, <laughs> I think because he's he, the team knows what type of quarterback they need. They got it, and he operates well in it and does a good job doing it. Like he's prepared, and he's taken advantage of the opportunity laid before him. He's in a position now where I think very seriously, the 49ers go into 2023 looking at like Trey Lance or Brock Purdy. Or what they should really be doing is going, do we ever for the rest of time need a quarterback? Like, just Brock Purdy has been good, but I think it's because he has so many players around him. And this is a team missing Debo Samuel, too, by the way. But it's true. I just I, I can't see it. That's what scares me about Tampa right now is I'm like, if it's Tampa, San Francisco in the NFC Championship. Are we saying Brady loses to Brock Purdy twice in one season? Tough to be the team two times. <laughs> Tough to be the greatest player of all time when you're like the only player in the NFL from Iowa State. And gentle. No, no, no. David Montgomery, Iowa State. Uh, no, there's actually a few other Iowa State guys. But I, Oh, I think, is it, uh, is it Lazard from Iowa State too? I don't know Look that up, Jamie. Uh, well, uh, Brees Hall's the other big one. Oh yeah, duh. Uh, um, tangential to this conversation about playoffs, who might win the Super Bowl? Who do you not want to see win the Super Bowl? It's blank. You very much. We're transitioning a little bit now, and that's the first question. Blank is the team I'd least like to see win the Super Bowl. I will start it off. I think it's very easy. It's very simple. I think that they've been a fun team to watch this year. I think that they've had one of the best defenses in football this year. They have mesmerized with the run game. They've got a tandem backfield right now. That's just been a lot of fun to watch. Um, And I think that they have had a year from a breakout wide receiver that some people may have been willing to write off, but I cannot stand their fan base and I cannot stand an off season of this team 
flouting around the fact that they've won or will have won. I think their sixth Super Bowl in franchise history. It's the Dallas Cowboys. The team I at least like to see win the Super Bowl resides in Arlington, Texas. And I, I say this with my whole chest, please. Whoever is writing the script for the NFL, do not let them win the Super Bowl. Don't let it happen. <laughs> this is the better. This is the better version of prognostication. That was a right? hell of a tease, too. Can I just say, like, you were mesmerized by who? Well, it was. I was thinking, I'm like, it's probably Dallas. But then, as you were talking, I'm like, I guess it could be San Francisco or Minnesota too. I'm like, maybe it's the NFC North thing. It's, it was. It was always Dallas at the top, but you did leave it open for some others. But this is the way that more people need to pick like this. I know that as consumers of sports media, we want to find the people who are right and like follow their predictions and either bet them or be like, oh, I'm going to share this with my friends. So it looks like my prediction. No, no, no. Forget about I'm not doing some objective. Oh, well, the math says that this team's the best or based on their offense and defense ranks. Like, no, tell me who you want to win. Tell me who you don't want to win. And Dallas is absolutely a great pick for who you don't want to win for me. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars, which really? is it's so rude. It's so rude to beat on the nine and eight horrible AFC South team. And like, it'd be a cool story. I do not want the Jaguars to win the Super Bowl. Any specific reason? Well, one is that means we'd have to watch four more Jaguars games, which is not <laughs> very high on my list of things to do right now. What about Travis uh, Etienne? I, I like Travis Etienne. I also, though, I've been I've been campaigning a little too hard over the last couple of years on the anti-Lawrence bandwagon, and it would be a dreadful look for my reputation after saying I don't think Trevor Lawrence is that good. I think that his good stats this year were almost more fluky than his bad stats last year, and I think it's good that the Jaguars didn't get him a ton of talented players because he could burn out quick. But mix that with the... I just don't want to keep watching this team play. I mean, even the Jaguars-Titans game was like, it was fine and it ended in an exciting way, but you said it too. Like this is a team that made the playoffs sound like a crazy fumble return late in the game. And it wasn't like, Oh, that settled at 41 to 35. I mean, this is just, ah, this, this is the one team that I, I really can't find myself rooting too much for. Uh, but I will give honorable mentions to still on my franchise dead to me list until they make amends with the new Orleans saints, the San Francisco 49ers, the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> who have all hurt me so bad when it comes to playoff appearances, qualifications, things like that. But no Jacksonville, whatever you do, no Super Bowl, please one game. Most that's all I want out of you. We are recording on the day after the final day of the NFL regular season. It's uh, January nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what some would call Black Monday, where head coaches and GMs are fired left and right all the time. Um, And so the question that I bring to the table now is uh, a GM or coach that you would still like to see fired here in post Black Monday is. Oh, you're posing it to me. You want me to go first? I'm posing it to you because I know you have your layup answer. Yeah, but that doesn't feel so, very fair to do. I think. Okay, I'm not well then, then hold on. Out. Then let me then let me fill this. <laughs> let me fill the void while while you figure out what you want to say. I, I have because, my uh, So far today, we've seen the firings of uh, Cliff Kingsbury and uh, is it Steve Kime, the general manager out in Arizona? That was just today. Mm-hmm. Also, yesterday, uh, the night of 
the eighth, we saw Lovey Smith get fired for the stunt that he pulled, uh, giving away the first pick from Houston. We've seen firings in Denver. They'll need a head coach. We mm-hmm. don't know if Steve Wilkes is going to stick in Carolina. We don't know if um, Jeff Saturday is going to stick in Indianapolis. So there, and we doubt that he will. I feel are, like we might know how that one ends up. There are definitely some openings available. The, the general manager position for the uh, Panthers is still open. And so though those are kind of your openings already. Are, is there something else, somebody else, you think the seat's hot, they need to go? Yes. Uh, for me, it would be, hate to say it because I do like when we give jobs to younger people instead of the same old people who have failed time and time again. I'm going to say Andrew Barry, general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Oh yeah. I think even though he has made some savvy plays and gave the Browns hope over the last couple of years where they, I mean, they seven and 10 is not bad for a fourth place team. Even this year in the last couple of years, they've hung around. Um, I, I think one of the biggest disrespects, maybe two, people at large but more selfishly me as a football fan is having to deal with Deshaun Watson still being in the NFL and that storyline week over week and when he's not yet back it's oh he's going to be coming back and how does that change things and then he's back and it's like well he's not good but this first time he played in a couple of years and then he yeah. has a good game and everyone's like oh he's back and at the root of it he actually hasn't been that great in limited appearances uh, but that is it's not a person that I resent and they didn't really do anything wrong to me but without really having a clear, better answer in mind, the, the thing that stands out is just, uh, I, I, I'm going to hold that Deshaun Watson, let's give him the largest guaranteed money contract ever when he's kind of a sinister person. I'm going to hold that against you and say, even though you've probably done a pretty good job overall, I'm not happy about that one thing. So I, I do have to make a quick amendment. It's not that the Panthers GM job open, it's the Titans GM job open. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been recently opened up. I think if I had to answer this question, honestly, it would be kind of tough. I was kind of hoping you would say Dennis Allen, because I think that's the clear, obvious answer is like, he's probably the most inept head coach currently left in the NFL. And I'm trying to think of some like just general poorly thrown together rosters that have had long-standing general managers. I was even looking like who's the Raiders GM. I forget if Mike Mayock was still there or if he, no, he left during the, uh, who was their coach that had the problems? Gruden. Oh, Gruden. He yeah, left I think, Gruden I think Mayock left, left during the Gruden era. I'm pretty sure. Either that or he left with, uh, with Basaccia last year. <laughs> Cause remember the Gruden thing was last year. That was last year. Dude, Urban Meyer was so crazy that people forgot John Gruden was a coach last year. (laughs) That's the headline of the previous season. It's true. I mean, just looking around, you see all the the really egregious uh, outliers kind of taken care of already. I think that it's still a fun thing to look at. Like, um, I would personally... I I would love to see something happen with the, uh, the... Green Bay Packers front office, right? Like their uh, NFL still, team. Uh, Guten, what's the guy's name? or whatever. Gutenkust. Yeah. Uh, they're a team that is getting ready to enter purgatory. They are going to be without quarterback, going to be without blue chippers on in their skill position group. Uh, really in any of their rooms. Aaron Jones is fine, but like he's not really necessarily a blue chipper. Um, and they are... Pretty short on cap space. 
They have their first round pick, but it's the 15th overall. You're not going to get anybody like super wonderful with the 15th pick. And so like you just start to look at it and you're like, okay, well, how do you fix this? How do you get better from here? Do you draft more guys that like push medical workers on a football field? Like, oh, that's tough. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, that, that was my backup too. Was something with the Packers, whether it's Lafleur or whether it's Gutekunst. I think I think Lafleur has been great. I think that he's done a good job. Uh, obviously, it was better when he had a world-breaking wide receiver on his sideline uh, to to complement the kind of middling middle of the road guys, but like. There, 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 there have been some egregious moves during his tenure as GM. Like you look at like the fact that over the past however many years, there's not been a first round pick used on a wide receiver when wide receivers have been available. You look at the fact that like they have allotted so much money to Aaron Rodgers, the Jordan Love pick. Yeah, there's there is a lot that goes into like this team probably hasn't been run super optimally and it hasn't had to because there's been so much bad in the NFC North, both with the bears, the lions, the Vikings underperforming in years past. Like I feel like now with the Vikings taking off and they do have blue chippers all over their roster and the bears are about to do some things and they hope to be in a position to compete in a couple of years. And the lions have shown that they are turning things around. Like it could be very soon that the Packers are a thing of the past in the NFC North. And I say that with excitement, but also apprehension because it's the Packers and they've scarred me. Yeah. I think that's where like, I'd throw LaFleur into a regime change. It might not be totally fair to him because he sort of got the disgruntled Aaron Rodgers era, but this is a Packers team that found a way to top the division for decades. And whether you're the coach or the GM, you had a large part in letting three very often widely inferior teams start to pass you up, right? The Lions actually literally pass them up as well as the Vikings and the Bears feel like they're on a clear upward trajectory Whereas at best, the Packers are treading water. They're staying in neutral. And so I don't know that LaFleur is an example of, wow, this guy's a terrible head coach. We need to get rid of him. But he probably is more emblematic of, uh, you know what, we might need to shake things up and hit the reset button. And you sort of try to clear the old guard out when they do things like that. But that that was my backup answer, too, is I, I think the Packers are getting close to a Rodgers will be gone. Let's just start over new GM new head coach, let them set the team up the, the way they want to and not the way Rodgers did. So that is blank you very much. A couple of more segments to get to here in episode 17, beginning with low hanging fruit, which I have a story from, believe it or not, soccer, which I think is pretty, pretty funny. Uh, so if you, if you haven't seen the head coach of the men's national team for team USA, Greg Berhalter, a former player on like the 1991 squad that did some some things is in hot water for a story that has recently leaked about him kicking a woman while he was in college. That woman later on became his wife. Uh, So you could say forgiveness was had between the two parties on that. But there was some curiosity as to who leaked this story who would even have the inside information to know that this occurred while he was still in college well if you remember some of the storylines from team usa and their run in the world cup one of the biggest storylines was that they weren't playing gino reina or geo reina rather uh this is one of their bright young guys, but I think, I think as some character issues or something like that. And so they, they, they weren't playing him. Well, Gio Reyna 
his dad played with Greg Berhalter in that 1991 World Cup. So uh, the funny part about this story, I'm doing an awful job of setting it up. But the funny part about this story is the, the person who leaked the information about Berhalter kicking this woman who is now his wife is Gio Reyna's mom. Yeah. So to me, like, and the reason that this is low hanging fruit is like, we live in a society right now where it's very much like when, especially when it comes to like kids athletics and, and stuff like that. And Gio Reyna is not a child, but like when it comes to like a person's child's athletics, there's always like the question of why isn't he playing more? Why isn't he playing at all? Whatever. And like, we'll pay money to make sure that he gets extra playing time. We'll go to whatever team where we pay extra money. He gets playing time. And like, this is like that type of situation. Hyperbolized. Like it's just yes. over the top, right? Like a U.S. men's national team head coach is being blackmailed by the mother of an athlete that he refused to play during a world cup. Like I think yeah. it's hilarious. It's objectively funny. That is the low hanging fruit part, right? Is that this is the, this is the helicopter sports parent that is like, I'm going to step in because the speculation around it was like, there must be something going on when this Burhalter thing, you know, when we first got the report, what was it? Was it a week ago? And there yeah. was like a day before we knew exactly where the source came from. And then Danielle Reyna was like, it was me. So <laughs> that that was the that was the answer to the question that we had, which felt unrelated at the time. But then the pieces fit where, OK, yeah, Gio Reyna has been he's been in the Bundesliga playing for Dortmund for a while. Like he is certainly one of the more acclaimed players on the U.S. men's national team. And he only got a, most of his playing time came after uh, he had a resolution within the team about whatever conflict there was and. I remember there were reports that the team voted on whether or not to let him play. And then Tim Ream said, no, we never did that. So this was a, a weird story to begin with. Then you get this on top of it. Like, Oh yeah. Mom went and said that the coach committed domestic violence 31 years ago. And that's, that's the end of this loop. So no, that was, this was originally going to be Milo hanging fruit too, because man, it was just an unexpected series of events for a sport that doesn't get a lot of mainline coverage. But like if there was a sport where something like this was to happen, it would be soccer. I feel like like there are the, the craziest like I that happened. Storylines ah. happen in soccer. I feel like the closest thing. Do you remember Odell Beckham's dad when no. he was on the Browns when he was like posting like it was a like Baker throw <laughs> Odell the ball more and was like posting highlight videos of Odell like being really good <laughs> at receiver. I'm like, dude, this happens in other places, too. And I can tell you as somebody who used to work in youth sports. Uh, it, it it's everywhere, right? Like you would think that some of these small local events might as well be the 2022 world cup, the way that some of these parents go in and out, but just like athletes are conditioned to their own athlete speak and the coach speak type stuff. Parents never change really either, man. They keep doing the no. same stuff. No, but it has, it has, I think gotten worse over the past 15 years. I remember being a kid and it was just like, oh, I could just, be a kid and play sports and it's super cool. And like my brother's five years younger than me. My brother played sports longer than I, and he's, he's still, a, he's a collegiate wrestler. And like still to this day, like even in college, there are parents who will be like, why isn't my son or daughter playing more? I've seen it covering sports in North central. I've heard the inside stories. Uh, I've seen it with, with my brother, right? Like it happens all of the time. And every time it's like, how 
much self-awareness <laughs> do you lack to know that you're a nuisance like that or to rather to not know that you're a nuisance well because the game changes when you get older right because when you're a kid you're playing participation sports and parents want you to participate but then as you get older you start to qualify for sports you try out in college you get recruited in olympic and international events you get selected right so it's like you wanted my son huh how come you're not playing him you're the one who asked him to be on this team in the first place whereas like as a kid it's Hey, can't my kid just run around a little bit? Do you mind? Now I know that like Greg Berhalter is in question on whether or not he'll coach Team USA for the next World Cup. It seems like, like probably no. They're looking for a new coach. I, and I know that they are, but like imagine they don't. And imagine Greg Berhalter is the coach in uh in, in 2026 when the isn't it in the United States next time around? Uh, North America. North America. Yeah, hosting. North America's hosting it. So like let's just imagine. That he's still the coach. Gio Reyna's not playing then either. Like you're really rolling the dice here, Danielle. I mean, he's going to be 24. That's a that's a pretty prime age for a guy to both be seasoned and extra skilled. So I yeah. I think even if that situation comes up, you can't bench a guy because uh, ultimately, who has the most power in these situations? The fans. That's, that's the right. difference when you get older too, right? right? We have the power. Yeah, especially with with Twitter and social media. See, this podcast comes full circle, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my low hanging fruit earlier. I, I threw it in yes, and all stuff. Yeah, yes, you did. So we move on to hang a banner, and I've got kind of a twin killing to address here. Uh, and so, with tonight being the culmination of the 2022 college football season, TCU, the Horny Frogs taking on the Bulldogs of Georgia, just kind of a hats off to college football here in 2022. Jack, I know that you're not the biggest fan, but I still think to some extent, this was a very entertaining season. We had some really fun storylines, especially early on. We talked about them last week in the year in review segment, the Sun Belt early on with all the upsets that they had uh, following Tennessee and the, meteoric rise that they had and also the meteoric meteoric fall that they had during the course of this season as well. Um, Other things mixed in throughout the year as well. I think that this season was very fun. Um, There was some tragedy mixed in there as too, as well. I mean, but that's, it's life and it's sports, right? They intertwine. Um, There's going to be tragedies and things, but tonight's the culmination of it all. The Horned Frogs who were selected seventh in the big 12 or rather uh, picked to finish seventh in the big 12 in the preseason polls are now in the national championship game, taking on who many people thought would be a repeat champion. And they have an opportunity to repeat the Georgia Bulldogs who have been absolute juggernauts this year. Um, I have no Vested interest either way. I probably will after this podcast when I play some some bets. Uh, but I'm just excited for a good game, and I hope that it is exactly that because TCU's been electric this year. And, uh, you know, like I said, George is kind of a juggernaut. So that's the first head of the dragon. Second head is uh, I hang a banner for former Madden cover athlete Peyton Hillis who is in uh, critical condition right now, or at least the last time that I checked on this story is in critical condition. Uh, he basically saved his kids from drowning uh, last week on Thursday. I think they it had something to do with a semi-frozen pond. They went out there, they fell in, and then Peyton had to go in and, and save his children. He did save them, but in, in the process is now fighting for his own life. And so, we hang a banner for him kind of as a 
being one hell of a dad, putting your life on, on the line for your kids. But we also uh, send up our thoughts for Peyton Hillis, too, especially with everything that's happened over the course of the past week. I think it's especially important that, you know, we uh, we think about Peyton moving forward. So hang a banner for him. Hang a banner for college football in 2022. Those are good banners. I feel like this happens to me pretty often where you guys have some very meaningful and like sentimental type things. And I've got to follow up with some goofy dopey thing that I picked. Uh, <laughs> my banner goes to Wrexham. <laughs> Wrexham FC is the soccer team co-owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, comedians and actors. Uh, they oh, yeah, the dude from the dude from it's, it's always, always sunny. sunny. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of them. And uh, so Wrexham is an actual football team. I have yet to see the documentary Welcome to Wrexham about their purchasing of the team. And they're like, yeah, just, I don't know, when you're famous and you have money, you can do things. And they are in the FA Cup, which is in England. All of the soccer teams from every level of professional divisional play will be put into one giant bracket. Most of the time, it's won by a Premier League team because they're the best teams. Uh, but it does give us some goofy matchups where you'll get a team that's in the fourth or fifth league of play, which is like, imagine if you had, here's the NFL and then you have the B level NFL, C level NFL, D level NFL, take those next guys. Those are, that's where Wrexham currently plays in the third round of the FA cup. So they managed to beat a couple of other low level teams. They were going against championship league, which is the second division uh, Coventry city. And they got a 4-1 lead early, hung on, and ended up winning the game 4-3 to advance to the fourth round, which I believe has only been done a few times by a team at their level of play. And they're getting pretty close to the point where they already played against a championship-level team. They are scheduled to play Sheffield United, who is a Premier League team. So you have a fifth-level soccer team, Cinderella-type story, going to play uh, top-of-the-line Premier League team. And the only reason we hear about it in the United States is because this is the team that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought a couple of years ago. So maybe they pull off another miracle upset, but it just has been kind of a fun story. Like, oh, this this team's actually pretty good. So we hang a banner for the underdogs. Well, not all the underdogs. You know, sometimes I don't like the underdogs. Sometimes, as Kevin Hart would put it, you got to root for the overdogs. But uh I can't wait. I can't wait for that run of DraftKings commercials. To be no, fun. that's one of my favorites. I love the overdogs commercial. Oh, no. it makes me laugh every time. No, I've seen right, it. We need to get you more into betting, man. Maybe it's a inside. You, if you bet enough, you're like, oh, the overdogs are a great line. I love uh, it. I will say, though, that I have thoroughly enjoyed the uh, Burger King commercials. Oh, the, their, their new song is so good. Chicken, 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 spicy. Uh, that one. Yeah, BK, have it your way. Oh, dude, I don't know why it's so good, but it is so much better than The King. Yeah, The King was always weird. The King was (laughs) always weird. Always a funky character. Anyway, uh, episode 17, we went as long this episode as we did with all of the awards and ceremonies and things that we had last episode. We had the whole playoffs to preview. Next week, there will be less playoffs to talk about. It'll be shorter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, Back next week with episode 18, whether or not we have Tyler Wood back, we don't know because he works on a week-to-week schedule with the XFL. We're big Defender fans here on the Hanging Banners podcast. You should be too because that's who he's playing for, the the Washington Defenders. So uh, we're back next week. I'm Ryan Sartori. That's Jack Coachman. Thanks for hanging and uh, have a good week. I don't know, something like that. See you guys. Peace. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in the sports, Brian. Yeah. 
And when we come back, we'll have one final look at weather. Stay tuned.